Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Farmington Hills, Michigan. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. The Cipriano family was a big one, and they had more than enough love to go around. Robert was a school administrator and youth basketball coach for his church, and Rose was a fitness instructor who loved to swim in her free time. But what they loved more than anything in this world were their kids. Their first child, Tucker, they adopted at four days old, and they could not have been more in love. Two years after adopting Tucker, Robert and Rose welcomed twin boys, Tanner and Salvatore. And after a nine-year break, they decided to add one more little one to their pack, a princess who they named Isabella. Tucker had some learning disabilities, so to make sure he got the best education possible, his mom and dad sent him to a private school. Tanner and Salvatore thrived in sports. They were natural-born athletes. And Isabella was just the light of everyone's life. In Tucker's teenage years, he started to act out and use drugs, and it wasn't something his parents understood. So to get a better grasp on exactly what addiction was, Rose took classes on substance abuse. She didn't shun her son. She didn't judge him. She learned about him. And that kind of defines the entire atmosphere of this family. Everyone was loved. Their house was a home. There was sports gear and backpacks by the door and Isabella's drawings on the walls. There were flowers all around. It was everything any kid could have ever dreamed up growing up around. Unfortunately, as happy as their home was, it wasn't enough to keep Tucker in line. Tucker eventually dropped out of school, and in June of 2011, he was charged with possession of cocaine and sentenced to probation. But probation only works if you work it, and just four months later, he was charged with possession of cocaine again and sentenced to 153 days in jail with 55 days credit. He started serving his sentence on December 15th, which would have put his release date on or around March 23rd. The Detroit News reports that Tucker had a meeting with his PO scheduled for April 5th of 2012, but he was a no-show and no one knew where he was. Now, typically in Michigan, if you don't show up for your parole hearings, they have 48 hours to locate you before a judge is called and a warrant is put out for your arrest. But no one can seem to tell if this was done, and this matters because 11 days after that missed parole hearing, Tucker's entire family was attacked in their home. In the wee hours of April 16, 2012, two intruders broke into the Cipriano family home. Robert heard commotion in the kitchen and went downstairs to see what was going on and was blindsided with a bat. When the attack began, it didn't stop until there was another victim. That victim was Rose. 
When Rose heard the attack, she rushed downstairs to see what was going on, and you can imagine her shock when she sees her son Tucker and his friend Mitchell with her husband on the floor being brutally beaten by them. She pleaded with her son to stop telling him that she loved him, but he didn't. Instead, he allegedly handed the bat to Mitchell and told him to keep his mother quiet as he headed upstairs. Whatever keep her quiet meant, Mitchell took this opportunity to begin beating Rose with the bat that had just been used to ambush her husband. Salvatore, who's 17 at this point, heard the screaming and yelling and grabbed a BB gun and headed out of his room to try and defend his family from whatever was going on. But he was overpowered and he too proceeded to be attacked with both the bat and the BB gun. Eight-year-old Isabella came down the stairs and sees everything going on, and Tucker claims that he pleaded with her to go back to her room and stay there for her own safety. And she does go back upstairs, but she doesn't stay there. Little Isabella came back downstairs wielding her own bat in an attempt to save her family. But again, the bat was taken from her and then used as another weapon against the Cipriano family. Tanner heard everything that was going on and he knew he needed to get some help. So he hid in his bedroom closet and called 911. He told the operator that his brother and his brother's friend were beating his family with bats. Officers rush to the scene and through the glass on either side of the front door, they see Isabella and someone, a male, push her over and run up the stairs. The officer tries to open the door but it's locked so Isabella lets them in. They apprehend the guy running up the stairs, and it's Mitchell. Tucker had fled out the back and was nowhere to be found. Mitchell claimed he was just another victim of Tucker's and that he'd been hit in the face and the chest with a bat. He had a bloody nose and a dislocated jaw, but no noticeable markings, and police weren't completely sure what his role was in all of this. They had just gotten to the scene. With Mitchell and Isabella outside, they go back in the house and find Tanner in the living room. He, like Isabella, was uninjured, but that couldn't be said about everyone else in the Cipriano house that night, including the dog, who was found limping and whimpering. There was blood everywhere, pools of blood, smears of blood on the stairs, blood on the walls, blood on the ceilings. It was horrific. And at the top of the stairs, where the blood smears stop, laid Salvatore and Rose. They were both face down on top of one another with the baseball bats beneath them. But they were alive. Salvatore and Rose were both still breathing, so they pulled them off of one another and got them out of the house and to the hospital as quickly as possible. As this was happening, another officer walked into the kitchen to find Bob, who was also lying face down with one arm behind his back and blood everywhere. It was on the refrigerator, on the cabinets, on the floor, on the ceiling, everywhere. 
Bob, however, was not breathing. He had no pulse. He had died from his injuries. He suffered multiple blunt force traumas to the head, but none of them would have been instantaneously fatal. Bob died slowly on the kitchen floor, aspirating his own blood. At this point in the night, Mitchell, Rose, and Salvatore were all at the hospital, Mitchell being treated for minor injuries while Rose and Salvatore were taken to the ICU in critical condition. Rose had a skull fracture, lacerations to her scalp, fractures to her face, bleeding on her brain, a fractured pinky finger, and a dislocated thumb. Salvatore had multiple fractures to his skull and face and had swelling on his brain. His condition was so grave that the hospital actually contacted a transplant team, not thinking that his injuries were survivable. The Detroit Free Press reports on the comparison of injuries between the three in reference to the Glasgow Coma Scale. It's a checklist that gives patients points for eye responsiveness, verbal responsiveness, and motor responses. According to the CDC, the score for a minor head injury is 13 to 15, a moderate head injury is 9 to 12, and a severe head injury is anything 8 or below. Mitchell scored a 15. Rose scored a seven, and Salvatore scored only a four. With Tanner and Isabella having witnessed the attacks and Mitchell essentially being caught red-handed, the police knew they had their guy. They just had to find their other guy. And he was found pretty quickly at the home of a teenage girl he'd befriended who let him crash at her house. Both Mitchell and Tucker were arrested two days after the attacks and charged with first-degree premeditated murder and two counts of assault with intent to murder. At their arraignment, CBS Detroit describes Tucker as wailing and Mitchell as sobbing as both of them entered not guilty pleas, Tucker insisting that he didn't do any of this. The judge wasn't buying it and both of them were held without bond. On April 20th, weird shit starts happening on Facebook. Someone creates a new account for Tucker and starts pimping out a website they created called TuckerCipriano.com. It was literally dedicated to updates on his case. Not updates on his dad's case. Not updates on his mom or his brother. Updates on his case. It even had a message board where people could chat if they wanted to, not that many people did because almost no one gave a shit about it. They make a few posts trying to get attention for the site, and when that isn't enough, they literally use the check-in button on Facebook to check in at the Oakland County Jail where Tucker's being held. The creator of the account actually did that twice, as if the first time wasn't dumb enough. It gets thirstier, though, and his account starts asking for people to click on the ads on the site to help support it, meaning it was monetized, but it was a flaming pile of garbage and no one cared. After eight months of accomplishing nothing with that Facebook account nor the website, whoever was keeping it up gave up and never looked back and no one noticed. Rose is finally released from the hospital and tries to make home life as normal as it can be for Tanner and Isabella. Salvatore was still in the hospital at that point with no sign of when he might be released. Locals say that she hired a nanny to help with Isabella as Tanner returned to sports and the community 110% rallied around them. If they needed anything, there was a line down the block of people who were ready and willing to be there. Thank you.
On June 1st, CBS Detroit gets an exclusive interview with Tucker's girlfriend, a girl he started dating about a month and a half before she says Bob's murder ripped the couple apart. And while I think the goal was to somehow help his public image, she failed miserably. She tells the outlet that the two have a lot in common, citing being adopted and homelessness, and says that the first thing that attracted her to Tucker was the fact that he said he didn't have a heart. In fact, according to her, he says that he carved one into his body and claims that he thought maybe a new one would grow there. How stable. She claims that her boyfriend wasn't the mastermind behind the attacks and that it was actually Mitchell who threatened them. She said that their lives were at stake, that he would kill Tucker's family if Tucker didn't break into the house and steal some money so Mitchell could run away. At the end of the interview, she literally tells CBS Detroit that if she ever has kids, she wants them to be as good as Tucker Cipriano. And yes, we're all making the same face. On June 10th, jury selection begins for both Tucker and Mitchell's trials, but word gets out that maybe Tucker's going to plead guilty, and he kind of does. About a week later, Tucker changes his plea to no contest, acknowledging that doing so would mean that he would spend the rest of his life in jail. According to Crime Watch Daily, Tucker pled no contest in order to save his family from a traumatic trial after his uncle came to visit him in jail. The first visit didn't sway him, but the second one did. The second time his uncle visited, he brought his brother Tanner with him, and seeing Tanner changed things. Tucker told him that the only way he felt like he could express his love for the family was to take responsibility for what he did, telling him, I'm sorry for treating you the way I did. You know I love you, Tanner. I love you so much. And Tanner actually told him that he loved him too, that they all did. Mitchell, however, wasn't interested in saving the Ciprianos from a gruesome trial, and frankly, I wish he would have because the details of the crimes were brutal and the state had a slam dunk case. During the trial, CBS Detroit reports that there was actually a third person involved in the events that happened the night of the attacks, a guy named Ian, who was with them the two other times they broke into the house that night. But once they started talking about breaking in a third time and who was going to kill who, he asked to be dropped off at that teenage girl's house that Tucker was arrested at. Ian was actually given immunity for his testimony, and he says that this had been in the works for a couple of weeks and that the motive was money for drugs. In fact, they went back and forth between the Ciprianos and another family, but chose the Ciprianos because they had more money. They planned on a total takeaway of 3000 whole dollars, or $1,000 each. The first time they broke in that night, Tucker came back with a debit card. He tried buying gas, cigarettes, cigarellos, K2 synthetic weed or spice, and even tried to get money out of an ATM, but the card was declined every single time and flagged as possible fraud. So they smoke some K2 and go back for round two. This time, Tucker came out with a Visa gift card with a sticky note on it that said $265, but it only wound up having $2.65 on it. They've now broken into a house twice for a total of less than $3. 
This is the point where Ian says the talk turned to murder. CBS Detroit reporting that according to Ian, Tucker said that he would kill his brothers, Tanner and Salvatore, and Mitchell would kill his mom, dad, and little sister, that he couldn't kill Isabella because he loved her too much. The plan was to kill Bob first because he was the biggest, and once they were all dead, they would weigh their bodies down and throw them into the Detroit River. Ian said he wanted nothing to do with any murders and asked them to drop him off at that teenage girl's house, so they did and she confirmed this. And Tucker and Mitchell headed back out. Lo and behold, a neighbor who was coming home around 2.30 a.m. the night of Bob's murder did in fact see two people outside of the house that night. The trial continued and the irrefutable evidence against Mitchell just continued to mount and mount. The Detroit Free Press did an amazing live coverage of this trial and went into detail about the DNA evidence tying him to the scene. They found latex gloves on the carpet of the master bedroom that tested positive for Mitchell's DNA. It's kind of hard to explain why latex gloves with your DNA on them are at the scene of a murder you claim you didn't participate in. It gets worse, though. On the clothes Mitchell was wearing when he was found in the Cipriano house, they found the blood of every single victim and not just stains. There was spatter, meaning he would have had to have been there when the attacks were happening. They also found Salvatore's DNA on his hands. All of this paired with the eyewitness testimony of those in the house who survived the attacks that night. The state rested and it was the defense's turn. But Mitchell chose not to testify, and on June 28th of 2013, the jury was released for deliberation, and within hours, they reached a unanimous verdict. Mitchell Young was found guilty on all counts. Every single one. The following month, both Tucker and Mitchell were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Tucker will spend the rest of his natural-born life in a prison cell at the Ernest C. Brooks Correctional Facility and Mitchell at the Chippewa Correctional Facility, eating on command, sleeping on command, and being reminded every single day why they're there. The Cipriano family started the Cipriano Children's Trust, which helps with the medical expenses from the care that Salvatore still requires to this day. As of 2014, he was relearning how to speak. His left side was paralyzed, and the expenses for his care came out to $30,000 a day. I'll put a link to the website in the highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, where you can swipe up to help the family. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out the Cipriano's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about the insanity that is this case. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode 
episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free and you'll receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.